Welcome to Rogue News. We are the preeminent geostrategic, geoeconomic, and geopolitical news show on YouTube and on the web. Join us for hard-hitting analysis, behind-the-scenes strategy, and brutal commentary. Find out why many consider us the place to get their news and information. Check us out at roguenews.com. Follow us on Twitter at Real Rogue News, Facebook, and most of the popular podcasting apps. Most of all, remember to subscribe, like, comment, and share. Good evening, good afternoon, folks. It's V the Grill Economist, and today is V for Velas. Velas is with us. He is the pontiff of the Church of the Trash Panda himself, the one and only Dark Raven of the Deep State. He's going to be with us today, breaking down a lot of the epilogues and prologues and all the different kinds of logs that is going on all around the world right now within the Deep State, within the back rooms of geopolitics and the boardrooms. And if you need to get hold of Velas, you can get him. He is lurking. The Church of the Trash Panda, the Pontiff of Pontiffs, is lurking in the Discord along with other members of the Church of the Trash Panda. That includes Crypto Cowboy, a.k.a. the Cardinal Bishop, that Raven Six. He is also another Cardinal Bishop. And then there's CJ and I, who are just altar boys. But <laughs> <laughs> if you need to join, go ahead and email the altar boy, cj at roguenews.com. CJ at roguenews.com, and he will give you the link. Then you, too, can become a member of the Church of the Trash Panda. And with that being said, Velas, CJ, good morning, gentlemen. Good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing? Doing good. We got some amazing numbers on, on uh, Whitney Webb's program. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm upset that I couldn't make it that day. I was really under the weather. But, yeah, I mean... That interview was explosive. And folks, if you haven't listened to that interview, go back and listen to it. Lots of juice in that message, for sure. And hello hello to Huntington Beach. Uh, Kevin, I was out in your neck of the woods a couple of weeks ago. So, let's do it. <laughs> uh, to, all, to all the fellow pandas. Uh, I'll go back to the to the normal Velas logo on another show, but I thought I'd use the the uh, the raccoon one more one more time. And uh, just a reminder, uh, we have um, <laughs> to quote from Bill Hicks, the comedian. We have jokes. We have actual jokes. Uh, we've got memes uh, on the on the Velas page, along with the other uh, content there on on the Discord page. Uh, also, uh, just some housekeeping here before I get into today's program. Um, uh, Patrick Ryan, uh, all hail Patrick. Uh, outside of his little handle he's got there on uh, Twitter, uh, he has also set up his own Discord channel, but he only let 100 people into it. 
Um, I did get in before the door closed. <laughs> and uh, as usual, when it comes to Patrick Ryan, uh, he is absolutely melting my brain with what he's got on there with the uh, psychological the social the mathematics of manipulation and the conscious wow. mind of the universe kind of stuff so Jeez. um yeah i may have to get the lava lamp out and, and go check some of that content again later i was going through some of it this morning and was just like wow i didn't need coffee this is going to do it for me right here um so today's program is the third uh, in my coverage of the ancient world. Uh, just a, a review or a reminder for those of you who may miss the other two or are a little fuzzy. Um, the first one I did uh, earlier this year kind of covered a number of the authors uh, of some of the books that are out there that are, are popular and then uh, some of the lesser known uh, kind of researchers. Um, and then it also covered uh, some of the major theories, especially dealing with with pre and post uh, Ice Age events and similar. Um, so then the second show, we got into what was known as the Human Interference Project, which was a, a program started by the government under DARPA, uh, along with Bechtel, who we covered on last week's show. Uh, as they were researching different ways, the, the purpose was... Um, we were going to be building a single location in the United States, a uh, very long-term government program. They were going to build a single location out in Nevada to store all, all our nuclear waste. And they wanted to identify um, how would you, for lack of a better word, keep people away from there or warn them uh, 10,000 years into the future. And it was a lot of big brain folks kicking that around. And they came up with some things that I'm going to reference a little later on in, in the uh, material I'm going to cover. And then once I get through my, my kind of prepared comments, if you will, uh, I've got a couple of PowerPoint slides I produced uh, for today. So we'll, uh, we'll go through that. So this program number three on the kind of the alternative world, alternative archaeology is going to cover uh, Freddie Silva, who's an author I mentioned before. He kind of runs in parallel, but covers different areas uh, like Graham Hancock um, to a particular book he produced on what he called Living Resurrection in the Ancient World. Um, and then I pre-posted some commentary that I just couldn't get into today because we pushed the show way over. Uh, but I posted on the Discord channel last night uh, about some, some things to kind of pre-prep yourselves for what we're covering today. Also, please see the BBC article I posted on Saturday, December 3rd. Uh, it discussed the uh, British Immortality Project, who, like the Human Interference Project, is intended to figure out ways to send messages into the future. Uh, below that article was uh, a piece of uh, detail in there that is near and dear to my heart, which is about DNA and how to encode information on DNA. So please re also recall my comments on the program I did about the human <clears throat> Parmigenome genome project from the 1980s uh, and the sudden billions of dollars that went flowing into that effort as soon as they started making some, some headway. And Graham Hancock, just want to raise this as well, because uh, he's a kind of fellow traveler with Silva. Um, Mentioned on a prior show, some of you may have seen it, he, he has a uh, five-part, I think, or four-episode, they're like a half an hour each, on Netflix uh, about the ancient world, and um, it's proved incredibly popular. It's one of the more, more popular programs on Netflix right now, um, and as often seems to be with Graham, the lightning rod that he is, the level of reaction by academics and publishers 
to that program, even for me, has been stunning. Uh, much of it coming out of Britain, but also the United States with a number of research institutions and archaeology departments and, and especially publishers saying the entire program should be ripped off Netflix. It should have a warning label on par with a pack of cigarettes before you watch it. Uh, I find this all funny because it's like revelations about Hunter Biden's laptop receive less of a reaction than Graham Hancock's been getting. Oh, yeah. Um, and you can attack alternative researchers individually, folks, and find fault you know, with parts of their work or, or even Freddie Silva's material. But you can't discredit the growing community of researchers whose work, and as I alluded last night on Discord, it's about what in academic circles when I was there is what they call the body of scholarly work. Uh, there are so many people who've been operating out there, including uh, Cosmographia on YouTube, uh, that gentleman who's the big uh, geology guy, Robert Schock, a whole bunch of other people that are out there. Um, you have a massive amount of, of scholarly work now. Uh, covering everything from newly translated legends, ancient astronomy comparisons, geological revelations, especially the last 20 years, advanced building techniques, all of which are being investigated by credentialed people or at least people who might be amateur hobbyists in the area, but, but they certainly have, have done their homework. So this isn't just smoke, it's, it's fire. And whether we're talking about weaponized psyops, as we often do on Rogue, uh, at least on my shows, um, against the global community prior to and following the events of um, that thing that happened in 2020, the COOF, um, or this topic, uh, in many ways they're the same. We face an industrialized machine, a living machine, whose purpose is to deny us a truth about the world we live in, yep. uh, including the prior world, which could be 15,000 years ago or even older. So I'll equally remember my program last week about the layered ways in which information can be classified or ways in which you can kind of obfuscate uh, the truth. Um, there's a bumper sticker I saw in California when I was out there doing a project that I thought was hilarious. I almost hit the car in front of me. It said, issue obfuscation. I was like, oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll buy you a beer. Um, my choice of this topic today, folks, too, is not necessarily because of Silva's books, although I've read several of them and he's, he's very good at what he does, but also due to my own personal research in this topic, as well as my travel around the world for 20 plus years now to a number of global sites. Um, and thank you, CJ, for, for pulling up the ancient apocalypse thing there. Um, and also, I've worn an eight-sided I Ching pendant uh, ever since college. And the, the one I have right now is made by an artist out of Tel Aviv, Israel. And it's silver. And written on the outside in Hebrew is from the Ecclesiastes, which says, what was will be again what happened will happen again. There's nothing new under the sun. So that kind of gets into what we're talking about today. So Silva's book, The Lost Art of Resurrection, and noting other researchers, is this whole thing about following the last ice age. We have what appears to be a globally led effort to build a number of redundant sites around the world communicating kind of similar messages. Silva points to a recurring theme at many of those sites, that there was an area or a structure set aside to conduct uh, a complex initiation process, uh, an initiation for those selected into knowledge, or dare we use the word wisdom, about prehistory in their own society. And this included places ranging from the, the you know, the big one, the Great Pyramid of Giza, to sites across Pacifica. Uh, for those of you who are familiar with what a dolmen is, the dolmens in France and Spain, as well as the um, above ground complexes 
uh, in Spain that have recently been discovered and, and yes. more of them are being discovered. Uh, the underground cave complexes in the northeast of the United States, as well as kivas in the southwest of the United States, and the list goes on. It was considered a form of living resurrection, which was defined as following, that the true meaning of resurrection was a path leading to personal enlightenment in the living world resulted in you being prepared for the next. Now, I'll actually go into a description of how how this worked in a moment, Uh, but not that religion or um, one's faith should be solely fixated on only the afterlife. To quote the Gnostic gospel of philip or what's known in some circles as the apocrypha the books that that were removed uh, out of the christian bible or or never included at all in the gospel of philip and i quote those who say they will die first and then rise are in error if they do not first receive the resurrection while they live Mm. when they die they will receive nothing Silva's not alone in pointing out in his book as well that when many of the world's religions label dissenting views as heresy, uh, it's about control. Their centralized structures cannot tolerate dissent, and among their senior leaders, they're well aware that these practices could lead to individual enlightenment without the involvement of a formal religion's leadership. Or, not to be indelicate, like some folks I know living in Northern California, we are our own government. We don't need the central government. We'll do it ourselves. The Emerald Triangle. Uh, Yeah, the Republic of California. Uh, In Islamic circles, especially in Saudi Arabia, you'll hear a phrase uh, called apostasy, which means to entirely renounce or reject a a religious dogma Uh, or belief. Now, to be clear, not to reject the divine or God, but to reject a particular religious structure or belief system. Correct. The doctrine. Yes. In Christian circles, those who've sought this enlightened path uh, in the past, we knew them as the Gnostics or the Essenes, and there's some Mm -hmm. others out there. Uh, A lot of research, by the way, now indicates the Templar order was heavily influenced by the Essenes. In Islamic circles, uh, the folks that would be practitioners in that regard would be the Sufis, uh, who also have been repressed for hundreds of years. In fact, uh, much of the Sufi movement or faith within Islam, they now live in um, Turkey uh, because they were unwelcome uh, in Iran and Iraq. The initiation process, you know, at a high level, uh, and I've got some graphics later to go through this, um, an initiate or initiates would spend time Uh, from months to years preparing for this journey or process. And that window of time included uh, various training and mental testing uh, evaluation to confirm they were ready. Uh, If you'll recall my prior comments about this theme, I've mentioned the Scottish Rite um, within the Masonic Order, about the 33 degrees. Each each one is another level of of kind of trust and building you towards something. I don't want to use the word indoctrination, but, you know, it's a highly complex model. And it's equally used in corporate hierarchies. I've seen it in major corporations, intelligence agencies, um, because you can't be told the deepest secrets of an organization unless you're ready and you've been evaluated. Um, This ancient process also included usually periods of fasting, who will prove important in a moment. So at an appointed time, usually one of the four annual seasons, including key astronomical alignments, Uh, The initiate or initiates uh, were taken to a sacred place, usually facing the western sun. They would stand or sit in a variety of of special places, such as a niche in a wall or a false door 
uh, or similar recessed area in the structure. There's a lot of, um, well, you'll see false doors in a lot of places, especially in, in uh, India. A lot of the ancient temples and so on have uh, what essentially looks like a false door. Uh, same thing with the famous church in Scotland, uh, which I did go there uh, from the Dan Brown novels. Uh, and then in Peru, uh, I saw a number of false or recessed doors in a number of, of key structures when I was down there. As the sun would set, that person would then enter the structure through a hidden passage at that false door or another hidden door nearby or a long, narrow opening. And of course, all that fasting now comes in handy because you can move through the narrow space because you're thinner. <laughs> um, they will eventually reach a central chamber. And in the, in the case of the Pyramid at Giza, this is the famous King's Chamber, where there's an open box or a sarcophagus kind of offset to the side. Now, this is a key point in archaeology because for many years, we've been battling with this perception that, well, these are all burial chambers. These are all burial chambers. Even though <laughs> yeah. in some cases, they were used for that later. Um, or, and or there was a misunderstanding. That's not their purpose. Um, the original purpose was misunderstood or it was a mistranslation of, of whatever, you know, ancient texts may, may still survive. The uh, initiator initiates would remain in this place for uh, perhaps a night or um, a couple of nights um, until uh, they were ready. And um, what do you call it? The, uh, in the case of Giza, it certainly appears you would just uh, spend the night there. And uh, CG, you can probably pull up that first slide. That's fine. Um, and then usually in the Kivas, it was like up to, up to three days. Um, in nearly all the descriptions, the initiates would consume a mild or moderate hallucinogen during this process, uh, especially in the case of the Egyptians. There's many references to the blue lotus plant. Um, which has taken on new meaning because we've since realized that that the blue lotus is a hallucinogen. Uh, and if taken with the right dose in a drink, it can induce a euphoric or almost DMT-like experience. What, what is it with the, uh, the whole psilocybin use amongst all these ancient cultures? Um, that's part of it. And mm -hmm. if you read Silva or others, they'll, they'll often point out that it's, well, it's like a race memory. Um, we know it was, you know, you have various peoples around the world. We know it was used for something. <laughs> we use it. Um, but the origination of why, or in a, I don't want to say a controlled environment, but as part of this kind of process, uh, it's been lost in translation. Because the other thing, too, about the Blue Lotus is, and it's true of a number of these different types of drugs, is um, if you consume these drugs in the wrong way, it'll kill you. So it's kind of like, let that be a warning to the uninitiated that if you attempt to do this process on your own and you're unprepared, you may, you may end up killing yourself. Uh, whereas with psilocybin, you just you just may be really whacked up for a couple of days and you need some, some Fruit Loops later. Um, you know, because of some of the work I did with the Department of Defense, we, we performed research on helping troops who'd been through too much shock in combat situations or what have you. And so there was data that I read about what happens to, you know, a number of factors. What's, what's your ethnic background? What's your body weight, male, female, et cetera. Uh, too low or too high a dose of DMT, um, things can get pretty wacky. And yeah. to para paraphrase. Yeah, it, it's pretty ahead. interesting. I have a buddy of mine. Uh, he's also a client. He's a Navy SEAL, former Navy SEAL retired. Uh, his name is Kelly. And, um, I'll tell you right now, man. I mean, he's been through a program which helped him immensely. 
with the uh, PTSD and all the other things, him and uh, his other uh, brothers that are in the SEAL teams, and was utilizing psilocybin. It's made a, an incredible, incredible life-changing difference in his life and the life of his uh, other brothers that are in the SEAL teams. So there is a lot of truth and merit to this, for sure. There, There is, and... Um... It's a it's a wide ranging topic in and of itself. I've seen um, medical use of DMT under under very controlled circumstances for folks that are dealing with end of life experiences and similar, where it it helps ease that process for that person. I know from personal experience, um, what do you call it? What I mean, we we especially with some special forces teams, we had people operating, especially in what they called the valley this this god-awful section of afghanistan where both we and the people we were fighting it was just a meat grinder and those soldiers who came back from that were so affected that i mean you know how the military is but even military doctors were like you you cannot send these guys home i mean you just you just can't one loud noise in a bar and it's we're all over cnn this is this is not good (laughs) and so it, it wasn't really publicized, but yeah, they, they came up with treatment regimens and it's, uh, I read a, a book by a guy out of Canada who has struggled with clinical depression his whole life and, and is very much center left. I get that, but has said that most of the, the pharmaceutical industry, our friends in the pharmaceutical industry, um, that most of the stuff they come up with is, is unbelievably harmful and, and it really doesn't do anything for you. That he's like, you, you got to go back to the ancient world and nobody ever wants to hear that. It's like, oh, great. We're all going to sit around and smoke weed. It's like, well, I don't know that any of the big names are coming up with anything in a bottle that's working and, and, and that stuff seemed to have worked in the ancient world. I mean, give, give it a go. Uh, Doc 808, uh, good call there on uh, the uh, lyrics of Kashmir from uh, uh, Led Zeppelin. Um, so yeah, it's with a lot of these drugs around the world. Some of these, by the way, are from plants that are now extinct or what have you. But you know, the the local peoples in these regions have often described, "Oh yeah, we know what that was," and you had to be really careful with it, or else it'll it'll kill you. So, uh, to to paraphrase the great Terence McKenna, for those of you who know him, uh, yeah, the machine elves are going to do a number on your sanity if if you take this stuff in the wrong dosage. And of course, with the Oracle at Delphi in Greece, it's almost universally accepted at this point that at least for the correct location of where that temple was located, they had subterranean gases that were coming up and affecting uh, those that were were in the temple. Um, So after the initiatives had this kind of DMT-like experience with the creator of the universe uh, and following their kind of pre-trained path, they would exit the sacred space or they were led there by priests or priestesses into the rising sun, uh, often early enough into the morning to also observe uh, Venus or Sirius or Regulus uh, or other key uh, signs. You can see Sirius there on the, on the picture on the screen. Um, so then they enter the world now alive and reborn and no longer dead with deeper spiritual understanding and personal awareness. My, uh, my Orthodox priest recently sent out a reading uh, which was funny because when I read his reading, I was writing up my notes for today and I was like, well, that that works perfectly. So from the wisdom of Solomon, and I quote um, chapter four, section seven through nine, but the righteous man, though he die early, will be at rest for old age is not honored for the length of time nor measured by the numbers of years. 
but understanding is gray hair for men and a blameless life is ripe old age. Now, what does that mean? It means wisdom is not the result of a long life, but a spiritual state for those who make it a priority in their life to seek the divine. If you seek glory from fellow human beings, you're never going to achieve spiritual wisdom. And that's why the human resurrection journey keeps reappearing across all the ages of human history. Ironically, no matter how many times they try to stop this, it keeps popping up. And Silva goes into that. There's a number of other authors that kind of are, are dovetailing this topic, by the way, where they've, they've identified um, various groups and so on who've been repressed and then the the belief system somehow comes back or someone finds you know like the uh the jars up there in israel uh finds the writings of the essenes that help bring it back into into contemporary use so i don't want to use this example but it's probably the best one i can come up with from our our kind of contemporary world about this concept i know you all have experienced the same thing you know when i'm driving around the area i live not as much as I used to, but I still periodically see a person by themselves in a car with a mask on. And along the lines of what we're talking about, well, that person is kind of spiritually dead. Yeah. Um, regardless of what they feel their level of intelligence is or even how many degrees they may have, they've got the windows up in a vehicle who uses a HEPA-like filter of the air before you even breathe it in a vehicle where you're the only occupant. That person has truly accepted the lies they've been told rather than attempt any form of enlightenment or double checking what you've been told. I mean, at a minimum, put the mask on when you go into a crowded space, but you don't need to do that while you're driving your car. Silva's research also indicates another pattern that's probably not going to shock anybody. Over time, several ancient societies, the number of initiates who were approved for this process became fewer and fewer. It became a more exclusive process globally. Uh, in later generations, only the, the pharaohs of Egypt or the Mayan or Aztec rulers or the kings of Europe would be told the hidden truths from this process. Uh, ironically, in the, the latter Roman period to today, any group who's tried to provide anyone seeking this process of living resurrection uh, often finds themselves shut down or repressed. Uh, some other names that pop up are the Merovingians in the south of France, again, for you Dan Brown fans. Uh, the Gnostics and the Essenes, who I mentioned, the Sufis, also the Zoroastrians uh, in modern-day Iran, and also the, the Zoroastrian community has kind of, uh, in part, they've relocated themselves into India because they've they've uh, been repressed in their in their native uh, Persia, aka Iran. Uh, the Zoroastrians, by the way, are one of the oldest religions in the world that's still being actively practiced. And if you've ever Correct. read any, anything into the Zoroastrians, uh, man. <laughs> <laughs> these are some these are some wild cats man they've got they've got these bowls in what they call their solar temples that are hammered out from meteorites that they've found and they burn sacred wood in these bowls and the zoroastrians firmly believe if these fires go out the world will end and i asked a friend of mine who is of iranian extraction who who their family emigrated out of iran in 79 and i said uh what's your thought on the Zoroastrians? And they kind of laughed and said, even the mullahs of Iran will not repress the Zoroastrians too far, just in case that whole thing about the fire going out in the bowls is, re is real. Um, but, you know, the net of this is, is that only the elites can know the sacred knowledge, uh, not, not the rest of us, uh, like our friends in Switzerland who keep having meetings. So kind of some concluding thoughts on this before we move into the, the graphics. Um, 
for me personally, I'm solidly of the belief that that these ancient practices are also part of what I talked about in the human interference project, where you have four models uh, or layers of information awareness. Uh, yes, the journey of human spiritual enlightenment is critical for every person, and it's it's a very important thing, and I think it needs to be considered and, and studied and taken seriously. On another level, though, it's also highly symbolic. Um, I've discussed how folks uh, designing a method to communicate you know, information 10,000 years in the future uh, kept kind of coming back to the same model, if you will, that appears to have been used in the ancient world with a lot of these, these sites. Each part is another layer of complexity than the information in the one before it. Um, but these practices are also reenactment of survival. Uh, and it's something I investigated in Peru and, and actually saw the sites where these ceremonies take place and so on. Um, the Inca have a ceremony during the spring equinox where priests will come up from deep underground into the rising sun. And they're offering prayers while they do that. And they have burnt offerings and things as the sun begins to rise. Uh, honoring the start of the year's growth cycle. Uh, but at the same time, it also reenacts legends about having once had to survive underground due to some planetary calamity. And this isn't an isolated story in the slightest, and we've kind of talked about this in, in a couple of other programs. Um, a number of references out of the Bible. We have Isaiah 2.19 and Revelation 6.14. In the case of Revelation, and I quote, the stars fell out of the sky to the earth like figs dropping from a tree shaken by a great wind. The sky receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. Then the kings of the earth, the nobles, the commanders, the rich, the mighty, and every slave and free man hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They said to the, to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of the one seated on the throne and the wrath of the Lamb. Um, the biblical verses also that I mentioned, and it appears in a lot of places, make reference several times to seven seals, seven angels going about the Lord's work on the earth. Many alternative authors believe this is a reference to legends from several societies, especially in Asia, about seven serpents or seven dragons with long tails or maidens with long hair that crossed the sky before a great calamity fell on the earth. We know that as comets and meteors, especially in the Graham Hancock universe, as well as a couple other folks, um, the uh, the Revelation uh, quote I gave you also speaks of the star Wormwood falling to the earth. Uh, wormwood is an old English reference to the devil. Uh, the Christian Bible, to me, is just the latest iteration of a global faith with echoes of this ancient calamity. Um, by the way, that's not a criticism of anybody's faith in any way, shape, or form. It's just we have to remember that we're still dealing with a lot of things that are handed down over and over and over again, even in our modern belief systems. Revelation, in a lot of ways, is not a story about what will happen, but it's a record of what already happened 10,000 years ago or before. Also, in one of the uh, in one of the translations or the the versions of the Bible, you know, King's King James Version, et cetera, a number of different versions out there, there was a copy we had in my family, and I don't know which translation it was, but that thing about hiding in the caves and asking the mountains and the rocks to fall on us and hide us. There was a version of that I've read where there's an additional section of, of writing in there that says, the way our ancestors did in the ancient past, we need to hide in the caves again. 
and that that's always always struck me. It's, uh, it's interesting, especially when the when you watch uh, Ancient Apocalypse that Graham Hancock thing in the first episode. There, he's highlighting a group of people that hid within the cave, some sort of subterranean uh, uh, cave system that's built underneath this massive pyramid-like structure, which is again built on top of a very high elevation or a very high plateau. So it's very interesting. Yes, and uh, revolutionary bliss. Thank you for the the Isaiah uh, quote you posted there. So this first graphic, there's a couple I've made here. So got a little person down in the lower left-hand corner and a little blue uh, kind of rectangle there. So you've got the setting Western sun. And, you know, I've got a couple of, of I wouldn't say quotes, but just kind of the philosophy of what's going on here. For, for I know the path of the hidden door. And in part, you know, the little fire that I've got above, in memory of the planetary calamity of fire uh, that led to the Ice Age. Person travels along the little path there, at the top of the pyramid, you've got, you know, which lunar period are we in and is Sirius in position. Uh, I know the sacred path and the journey who leads to rebirth. You've got the person, the point of, of these processes, especially if you look at different sites around the world where you have this like box, we call it a sarcophagus, but this box in the center where you were supposed to lay in there. And it was interesting because Silva also got into people who go into, uh, I forget what the term is, the, the chamber where like you're completely cut off from sound and everything. And that especially on the, under the effects of these hallucinogens, especially laying inside this kind of, of stone box. And in a number of cases, if you go to Malta uh, or other sites around the world where this kind of similar arrangement is set up, the, the stone enclosure that the person lays in often is, is granite or a similar stone that has quartz in it which starts getting into probably more of Jet Blake's thing about vibrations and, and energy and so on. So then the person will commune with the hidden knowledge in that sacred place. And then there's two attendants on either side of them. And then I know the path to return into the light. Now the little orange rectangle there you see on the right-hand side, um, there were a long time ago, back in the 90s, I had remembered reading in an architectural digest as, as architects for years continued to try and figure out how was the, the Great Pyramid built. They had references to Arab chroniclers and others uh, who had translated Greek and Roman writings that talked about the fact that there was a way that you could exit the pyramid. And there's like a little niche. If you look there, you see the arrow going left and right. There's like a little niche in there where the person, if you placed your hand on the right location on this, on this stone, it was cantilevered in such a way that the weight could be managed by a person to push it open. And then you could exit out into the rising sun and see Venus or Sirius or whatever, whatever celestial alignment was, was key for the ceremony that you were in. And then as you left, the stone would slide back down into place. And if you were on the outside of the pyramid, you could never really tell where this where this was. Um, it supposedly, if you had three people on the outside of the pyramid and they pressed on it the right way, they could they could get that stone to move. Now, if I recall correctly, and I may be wrong, uh, during one of the explorations of the Great Pyramid, that stone was either removed or knocked out of place. Uh, but we do know that it was there. Now, in the context of building the pyramid and, and you know, why would they do that? You know, secret entrance and this, that, and the other. In the context of what Silva's talking about, it makes more sense that you have these structures whereby it's it's difficult 
uh, for the initiate to to work their way through the structure to get where they're going uh, to reach a sacred space. Uh, sometimes there are uh, different paths that lead you in the wrong direction or what have you. Um, these all kind of correlate better uh, to to one of the purposes that could be uh, behind structures like like Giza. Of course, for anybody who's ever looked into the whole Giza thing, you know, um, I, I'm going to do this wrong, but like each of the leading sides of the pyramid are equal to the curvature of the Earth. Uh, if you could put the Earth on a scale, like as its as its mass as a planet, uh, the the pyramid at Giza is reflective of that. Um, the pyramid isn't actually a true pyramid. There's a slight concaveness to it uh, in the way it creates shadows. It's aligned with both true north and, and uh, magnetic north, and the list the list goes on. So, one other little item is is the upside down triangle there in the green is the alchemy symbol for water, uh, a reference point to surviving uh, the floods as part of this process about about these deep underground structures being a place of safety or refuge. Um, and of course, I jokingly in the upper right-hand corner, uh, I'm sure you've seen a symbol like that, which is a symbol for Veles, uh, because uh, Veles in the Slavic tradition, uh, he is a water sign. He's a he's a uh, a demigod associated with with um, you know animals of the night, uh, wolves and crows and owls and things. Uh, but he's also lord of the water uh, and lord of of uh, hidden places under underground. So with that, CJ, if you'll you'll click up to the next one. I've always liked this one um, about the process of resurrection or even embalming. Uh, I don't want to say misunderstood, but once you awaken to the truth of divinity within yourself, it's your duty to help others to wake from the sleep of death. But, but you know, this gets into ancient translations, you know, where it's like, well, but in that case, the word was actually ignorance. Um, so this is, this is Isis restoring her brother to life. But again, are we interpreting the legend correctly? Is this really just, have you reached a level of, of emotional maturity that you can handle other layers of truth? If you'll go to the next one. Yep, there we go. So we got a lot here. Um, in the upper left-hand corner, uh, now this is a more complex dolmen, uh, Domenga in Spain. Um, these are very similar to, uh, for those who may be familiar, up in the northeast, the Vermont, Maine area. They identified some structures that are like cave complexes underground as having been built by native tribes. Now, I don't want to get into this debate or this argument about, you know, only white people could have done it. That's not my point. But those structures are unbelievably massive in the northeast of the United States, much like what you're seeing here in Spain, and very difficult to build. And the doorways and so on are either various solstices or equinoxes, uh, various positions of, of stars and so on. And again, the age-old problem of there's a lot of similarity. Uh, what you're seeing there on the screen in the upper left-hand corner is very similar to what exists, if not exactly, to what exists uh, in the northeast of the United States. If we shift to the upper right, we've got a Dolmen de Soto in Spain. Uh, if I was to take that structure that you see there, that kind of round structure with that almost like inverted ramp entrance, if I was to paint that with white chalk, uh, you would find a site that looks exactly like that in Ireland, because uh, there's mounds and so on in Ireland that look very similar to that. 
Chichen Itza there in the center, uh, colored the way it was supposed to have looked. They found remnants of the pigment and the dye that was on there. It was supposed to be red with white ramps. If you look at the very top where the temple is, you'll notice that the two leading uh, pillars as you enter the structure are white. So if you look at the temple facing one of the sides, it's almost as though you're looking at the fangs of a serpent. And of course, as many of you are probably aware, the shadow you see there to the slight right of that ramp on the left, um, during the spring equinox, the shadows move in such a way to make it look like something is moving down the stairs. The serpent is, you know, Quetzalcoatl or Cococon is coming down to earth. And in uh, the winter or fall, uh, the shadows reverse themselves and it goes it goes back up. I actually had a chance to go into Chichen Itza before, I think it was in 2006, somebody got killed falling off the, it's, it's unbelievably steep, the stairs. Uh, somebody got killed in 2006. Jeez. So they, they've closed it off. Uh, but I did, I did get to the top and I did go in through the temple. And it's a series of kind of like you go in, you turn to the right, then you turn to the left. And then you're kind of in a, I don't want to say a sacred space, but you're kind of in a space that's very dark. And you don't really hear anything anymore from that. And there's tons of people crawling all over this thing, taking photos and chain smoking and everything else. But you get to the top of that thing and it gets really quiet. Uh, you, you can, and, and the walls uh, glittered. You know, I had a small flashlight with me, so you could tell there's like granite and stuff in there. And then you kind of come around the other corner. And then there's a separate entrance on the top that takes you on like a different a different kind of route. And I'm, I'm firmly of the belief that that structure was built um, prior to uh, the Aztecs doing their thing. Um, and then a absolutely massive site, uh, Teotihuacan, there in the middle right. Uh, just in the past few years, they've discovered a number of new passageways that that kind of arc and loop through that whole uh, pyramid complex. And there's there's multiple pyramids. There's one of the sun, one of the moon, and then each of the structures at the Teotihuacan complex are representative of the different planets uh, in our solar system. Um, and if you get to the top of the pyramid, I'm dead serious. You can see the uh, Walmart that's just off in the distance. Um, there was some controversy about them building it that close. <laughs> um, but one of the other things that's recently been discovered at Teotihuacan is they have found uh, flecks of mica uh, and uh, mercury, uh, quicksilver, liquid metal, uh, in different parts of the structure. And so uh, they're still kind of trying to get to the bottom of, you know, and the thing is, is, is when the Spaniards came across Teotihuacan, and this is why, much like Harrison Ford from the first Indiana Jones movie, I'm a big fan of, of go to the locals or go to the original diaries of people. When the Spaniards got there, they asked the native peoples who were living there, how'd you build this? And, you know, they told them it wasn't us. This, this, is, the pla this is the place where the gods rebuilt the world. What do you mean? <laughs> well, you haven't been through our sacred ceremony, so we can't really explain it to you, but... There was some really serious shit went down about 10,000 years ago. <laughs> and then uh, Luxor there on the bottom right. Um, I mean, dude, I mean, one of the evidences that's really emerging throughout all these themes is that there was some sort of a, a cataclysm. And that cataclysm was 1,000, maybe 1,500 years of hell on Earth, man. That's, it, that's it terrifying some, just to think of it. Yeah, it's Graham Hancock and others have, have shown that it was like just just – because like with with Peru, if you, if you go up to the places I was in in Peru, 
and then I'm coming back and continuing to read and so on because it struck what I'm about to say struck me and nobody could really answer the question. But there's a number of researchers now that have said Peru is like two phases. Phase one was like rocks that are melted and bent and curved and they all interlock and fit and uh, the region is very prone to earthquakes, but the structures are built in such a way that they can handle it. And so the the kind of the joke, one of the, the local native Peruvian archaeologists was telling me was, as he said, we always look forward to earthquakes in, in Peru. He said, because the Catholic Church usually then falls apart and then we can finally get to whatever the Peruvian temple was they built it on. Um, <laughs> who will be intact and in perfect condition? Um, but then there was a later building period where it's still high quality stuff. But it's more what we're used to, uh, finely cut blocks, uh, you know, uh, located with that kind of offset pattern where you've got like the little H uh, form there. You don't just put keep putting the blocks one on top of the other, but you kind of offset them. And, you know, a couple authors have said you can you can see that there were two phases of building. And the first one was from people that were really, really good. And the second phase was from people that were good. And then everything that followed after that was just people trying to maintain it. And you could see over time kind of the lost knowledge of how to, how to sustain it. But the belief is, is that after the first cataclysm of fire, st structures were being built around the world. And then we got hit by the back end of the planetary material that hit us the first time. And as I covered on another show, you know, a couple of folks have, have their theories are the first strike was was northern hemisphere land masses. So it would be modern day Canada and the United States, as well as uh you know, Northern Europe and, and modern day Russia that threw all this material into the sky. So now we go through a period of, of global cooling and glaciation. And then about 1500 years or so later, we got hit again. This time it hit the oceans and then it threw up a lot of water and heat. And so we had all this massive melting and the various flood myths and so on. The, uh, the Luxor temple down on the lower right is interesting because of late, I've come across a couple of people's books that talk about what the ceremonies were that the priests that maintained that temple, both during the Egyptian period and the Ptolemaic period afterward, and then and then the Roman period. Um, every spring, they would go around the temple, and they would wash and clean everything, uh, get the dust off, and then they had kind of this ceremonial process where they would um, tap with either a, a, a Ben Ben stone, like kind of a curved hook sort of thing. It's the, it's the thing that they would use for the ceremony of opening the mouth. The year after somebody died, they would open up the, the sarcophagus and they would force the mouth open to breathe life back into the loved one who had passed. Um, they had a, a process like that they used at Luxor where they treated the whole temple as though it was alive. And so every spring, they after after its winter's sleep, they had to reawaken the temple. And so they would go around and do things, tapping various key parts of the building to bring it back to life. What's interesting about that is, is now we're finding that that isn't a isolated event. Uh, there were other societies that did similar things at Angkor Wat uh, in Cambodia and other, other places. Now, if you look at the Kiva structure in the center, and you have to imagine that this is like a half circle here. You'd have a whole, so I've been out there, I've seen these sites and they're unbelievable. And then you would have a structure over the top. 
not necessarily wood, but reeds and things, or even a, a loose stone structure built over the top. So you had like an enclosed space. Now, if you look at the icons for items three and four there on the right, they're kind of dotted lines. Those are uh, air shafts. Um, but my, my thought about that was they might be air shafts or those might be a pathway in. Uh, I don't know. They they may, in fact, truly be air shafts. And then if you look at item 14 there in the center, you see what looks like to the right and the left of it, like broken pillars. Uh, there we go again. We've got the the open box or the sarcophagus kind of kind of structure. And then last but not least, uh, because it's where I live, um, over there on the left, uh, for those of you who are familiar, the uh, the Serpent Mound or the Great Serpent Mound in, in southeast Ohio. Um, Graham, in his little documentary, uh, I wouldn't say he got into trouble, but but Graham in one of his books, um, uh, do I have it here? I don't know where I put it. Got Graham's book around here somewhere, or one of Graham's books. Uh, his thing about ancient America, uh, he went out to Serpent Mound and uh, did did quite a bit of work out there for a couple of days. Uh, took his wife with him, and she's she's usually his photographer. Uh, when he does these things. I was kind of bummed out because when I saw it in the book, I thought um, I actually wasn't on the road that month. Uh, I was home. If I'd, if I'd known Graham Hancock was traipsing around the Serpent Mound, man, I would have I would have driven over there just to go find him. Um, so this is, a, this is a mound structure, and we got a lot of these in the Midwest, uh, everywhere from Cahokia in Illinois, which was massive, um, through the American South. Um, Hancock kind of... Um, which I share his sentiment is very saddened by the fact that, you know, as we migrated across the United States and built farms and towns and things, a lot of these mounds were, were um, plowed under. Um, but there were literally, they think in, in the tens of thousands of mound and mound structures across the United States, uh, including a, um, at first it, it doesn't seem like that big a deal, but kind of like a squared structure sitting next to a circle. Uh, but that's a major uh, geometry thing. That's that's what they call the squared circle, uh, and and they're always aligned the same way, et cetera, et cetera. No matter what part of the United States you're in. So in Ohio, this mound structure is in the shape of a snake or a serpent, and at the top left there is kind of a round object, which is described by many people as an egg. Uh, but going back to the thing about Revelation, the the belief that it was seven primary objects that struck the earth or whatever, there are those who believe that this serpent mound is actually a reference point to that planetary impact and that the, the serpent is eating the world. Now, if you look at the image, each of the bends in the serpent's body, uh, the lower bend there is the winter solstice, uh, the middle bend at sunrise is the equinox, the next one up is sunrise on the summer solstice, and then bisecting the egg and the head is sunset uh, on the summer solstice. Now, the site has a lot of trees and stuff around it. There's some towers and things you can get on that let you look down at it. Hancock is not alone. There's some other people who've asked the question that it's a shame that we haven't uh, carefully cleared out the trees because there's been a belief for years that there's other structures there. We just haven't found them. Uh, and then as I, I put in the text below, uh, to my knowledge, I don't know that anyone has ever tried to find anything under underneath that site. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked if we were to suddenly find that there are, you know, passageways and so on underneath with a main, a main central chamber. So CG, if you'll move to the, the last slide. 
And then you see a little a little red figure there standing in uh, the famous Gobekli Tepe. This is kind of interesting because you'll often hear people talk about uh, what's what's carved on the pillars and the famous Pillar Forty Three, and and Hancock and others are now kicking around ideas that that uh, the animal figurines on the pillars are actually references to to uh, astronomical things. Case in point. Most of us, even as far back as Egypt, we associate uh, the constellation of Orion with with a male or human figure, sometimes as a warrior, sometimes with a bow. Um, I think there's one legend that it's a female figure, but the net net is, is we always associate it with a, a human kind of figure. In the further ancient world, it was not a human figure. It was a condor. And so there's a lot of condor uh, images at Gobekli Tepe and the other Tepe site they just dug out that Hancock went into in his in his uh, recent documentary. They're still they're still digging it out. But what this uh, graphic shows is that the other thing that was important about these sites was is depending on where you were standing and where these various lintels were. It's kind of like a, a T shaped stone structure uh, aligned with various key um, solar movements. Uh, the moon, Sirius. Uh, the other thing is is that. In a lot of societies around the world, the Sirius's counterpart is a star known as Regulus, and so a lot of these societies were always tracking, uh, tracking the two. So with that, I, I yield the floor, gentlemen. You covered a, a lot of ground here, and there's so much. Why do you think you know? Apart from the the you know, we all know the uh, the. Uh, saying that you know the, the elites they hide this from us well what, what's your take on all of this stuff the structures and all this hidden knowledge what's your interpretation of this fellas to oversimplify i've struggled with that one decades i've struggled with that one even when i was an undergraduate student in college back in the the early 90s on the one hand, given my own personal experiences with government agencies and, and large corporations, the bigger the bureaucracy, the more paranoid everybody is about everything. You know, I, it's, I used to, I had a psych major I worked with at General Electric that used to pull the most twisted <laughs> games on executives back at corporate because he knew what they wanted to hear and he knew what they were afraid of. And so they were always up there rubbing their, their hands up on the board of directors, wondering if the latest revelation was some move by some other executive to try and outdo them, blah, 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 blah. Instead of just kind of stepping back and going, well, this is all bullshit we're being played with. Um, so on the one hand, which is almost more tragic to me on a certain level, it goes to my joke about 12 people sitting around a table making all the world's decisions. It could literally be that that most of the world's elites, uh, we've often made comment here on on Rogue, and it, we're not alone in that. Um, uh, Brendan O'Connell does it frequently uh, about the importance of certain key dates and times of year and numbers and you know this that and the other. Um, there's a uh, alignment coming up, by the way, with Mars that. I've got a dollar bet with a friend of mine about whether or not that's going to result in something big. You know, it, it could equally be that most of the world's elites don't understand this stuff either. And then conversely, they do. That whether it is the um, legends about the uh, Hall of Records underneath the Sphinx or some other site around the world, call it the Vatican, call it what you will, it is, it is more than possible that the world's elites, and I use that word loosely, um, 
by whatever means they came into it, have have knowledge we don't have about why this stuff matters, why the symbolisms matter. Uh, not to delve too heavily into Jet Blake's universe, but but everything from charged water to the importance of sound. Uh, or, you know, I mean, I know a number of you are probably familiar with the fact that there's a quite a bit of research that's been done on what remains of Stonehenge and the way sound uh, behaves there. Uh, Silva got into it that um, a lot of these ancient sites, uh, if you get into these little stone chambers, even if you're stone cold sober, um, after resting there for an hour or two, uh, people people feel greatly changed from the experience. And, and is it really true that, you know, certain energies or fields or magnetism have an effect on us? Someone posted in the comments section that uh, there was a belief in some circles that, um, oh, the beast uh, up in England, um, God, Jimmy Page lived in his house, uh, Crowley, um, that Crowley did a lot of his work while sitting in the Great Pyramid you know, wealthy English people could get away with that shit, uh, sitting in the Great Pyramid and, and writing stuff. Silva himself was part of a tour group where the tour guide just kind of exited the chamber and he and two other, other people he was with were just standing there going, my God, we're alone in the king's chamber. So they, they just laid down inside the sarcophagus. Wow. And he describes his experiences and so on. Um, you know, it, the world's elites have billions of dollars at their disposal, and they have the ability to hire really wacky people, uh, whether it's the Patrick Ryans of this world or or some of the savant people I used to see at, at defense conferences who get into really obscure, wacky ideas about balances of power between factions and countries and everything else. If If the means exists for someone to understand these topics, they have the means. The question is, do they want to? And I think there's more than an, I mean, I've met someone whose net worth is probably north of 50 million who lives near me, has one of the finest collections of antiquities from Egypt I've ever seen, has a whole section of his house. It's all black marble. He's wow. got a special door behind a bookcase. I mean, it's like something out of a movie. <laughs> and he's, he's got literally the entire pantheon of Egyptian gods as you walk down this, this black marble floor. And then he has he has a uh, uh, kind of a, a stone thing that's that that uh, gives praise to Isis at the at the end of it. And I mean, uh, I don't know that his acquisition of those items was entirely legal. I wasn't going to ask the question. Uh, it's a fine collection, um, but yeah, I I I wouldn't doubt it. I, I wouldn't doubt that that you know, and, and again, it, it's 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 like JFK. Uh, what's what's the real story here? Yeah, you know what 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 is it really all about? Is is it indeed that I've alluded to on a couple shows? Is it indeed that we're coming up on another cycle? Uh, yeah, I know I know Jet Blake has a view on that, as as we often say in consulting. Uh, there's some other folks on Discord who've been blowing the pages up on our our site and others talking about, you know, is it is it a spiritual threshold we're about to cross is it an energy threshold is it just flat out objects coming into the earth's atmosphere uh, i'm always amused whenever i see nasa and other um scientific researchers talking about oh that was a close one and it's like what do you mean oh something the size of manhattan just passed between us and the moon <laughs> don't you think we should have known that well it was on the it was <laughs> it was in the sun we didn't see it until it was almost on us <laughs> 
So, you know, when, when, uh, when really scary people start getting scared about stuff, it's amazing how much money they can suddenly start pulling together to uh, protect their own, their own personal self-interest. But yeah, I, uh, I continue to work through, um, I've got another one of Silva's books I'm reading right now about <coughs> hidden, uh, hidden Scotland, which is kind of a personal, personal one. Uh, and I've got some, some other stuff in the, in the, uh, in the pipe as Mike Moore would say. Uh, and I've got about half the show for next week prepared. So nice, Velas. Thank you so much for joining us again, folks. You could find him over in the Discord. If you need to get into the Discord, just email CJ CJ at roguenews.net. CJ at roguenews.net. And with that being said, CJ, take it away. <laughs> 